All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 15 of Catching Foxes, interview with a sort of exorcist guy that's going to creep the hell out of you. Uh, David, how are you? I'm great, but I'm not an exorcist guy. I'm getting trouble. <laughs> no, 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 that. you're not an exorcist. You're an exorcist guy. guy. Okay. You're an exorcist's guy. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I'll accept you have that. A, you have a cyst on the outside, so we call it an exorcist. <laughs> Is that gross? Is that gross? But also true. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Dave, are we allowed to use your last name? So many people yeah, what, just won't let us use what, their last name. What would be the reason you wouldn't be allowed to use my last name? I mean, I'll say something horrible. You'll get fired. No, I don't, no, I don't something care. Something along those lines. I'll, I'll never get fired. Luke has this amazing tendency to say incredibly awful things <laughs> for the sake of laughter. And it's always funny. Yeah. Yet incredibly demeaning to some minority group, some protected rights group, or, yeah. you know, the oceans. So we always have to be very careful with Luke. No, I stand Good. behind Luke and my last name. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we have Dave Van Vickle. Uh, you were born in Denver or in Dallas, right? That's right. That's right. I'm, I'm from Texas. True Texan. That's right. But you live in uh, Sucksville. I mean, Pittsburgh Whoa. area. I do, I do, and I also agree with that. No, not <laughs> really agree with that. I love Pittsburgh, other than the weather. Oh yeah, the weather—that's kind of a part of living in a place. But uh, so, what do you do? What do you do? I'm the director of evangelization for St. Bonaventure's in in uh, Pittsburgh, PA, which is a big Catholic parish. So, what is it job. like? What is it like as a Catholic to be at a Catholic parish, being the director of evangelization? Uh awesome but frustrating at times you know we're like a i don't know if we're a typical american parish but about 73 percent of our parishioners on our books don't go to mass so i kind of focus on those people and uh, that's my job so do you have uh since they're on the books does that mean you have their phone numbers right do you ever prank call them i don't prank call them no i have called them but i haven't prank called them yet well, maybe you should. Um, <laughs> maybe that's the reason. <laughs> I'm just waiting for someone from the church to call me and tell me that my refrigerator is running. <laughs> uh, I would have a funny, I would have like a witty comment here, but I'm really tired. Go on. <laughs> oh, well, well, this is going to be an awesome podcast. Thanks for good podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. So a director of evangelization, what are some of the things that you do to evangelize those good folks? Uh, because I know that I desperately want that title. I don't even want to do the stuff that you're going to tell me that you're doing. I just want the title at my you job. You just want the title? I just want the title. It's like Rocky. I just want to prove I'm not a bum. I well, just want I gave, the title. I, I, I literally gave myself the title. I just walked into my pastor's office one day and was like, can I call myself director of evangelization instead of director of religious education? He said, sure. So I started doing that kind of stuff. And uh, – I've only been here four years, and in four years, I can say that we've successfully implemented, you know, like the kerygma in every aspect of parish life, but that's about all we've done so far. So uh, we are off to a good start, but that's that's the start that we've accomplished. So our sermons, you won't hear a lot of catechetical sermons. It's all kerygma, pretty much. Um, all our sacramental prep and things like that, it's all preaching the gospel. It's all basic gospel message. Everything has a testimony. Everything. Every meeting, every class, everything has a personal testimony in it. Is it is it just your testimony? Do you show up at every single event and be like, <laughs> no, no, I was, I was no, born I'm... in Dallas. but I, <laughs> No, we, we monthly we do a class like how to give your testimony. So I have like 125 people right now that know really well how to give their testimony in five minutes. So 
How do you do it? Give us give us a class in a nutshell. Um, well, actually, I actually use things that I stole from Franciscan people at Franciscan, just papers, you know, about how to give your testimony, talking about what your life was like before you had a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, what your life, what, what took you to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and encounter with the Lord, what your life was like after and what it's like now. So, um, very basic and we try and really just kind of focus on the, um, you know, less of the extraordinary kind of stories and just focus on like what it's like for just the average person living, you know, in the world today. So we have all kinds of different demographics and things like that, that I'll call on. So for instance, if it's a CCD meeting or something like that, I have probably like 10 families, just young families where they've learned how to give their testimony as a couple. So they'll stand up and I'll I'll give them more time, obviously like 10 minutes and they'll stand up and give their testimony. Whereas if it's like a catechetical thing, like maybe a speaker series or something like that, I might have somebody who's older. So anyone who's going to appeal to that demographic, but uh, they just learn basic, uh, the basic, how how the charisma affected their life basically is what they tell. How uh, difficult was it getting your priest on board with giving charismatic uh, homilies, homilies that focus on the basic gospel message? Uh, Really not difficult at all. So my pastor's like, He's been affiliated with the Charismatic Renewal since he was, you know, a brand new priest. So that was a pretty easy. And he loves like a handful of like evangelical pastors. I remember I was talking about right. Andy Stanley to him. Oh, he's yeah. like, oh, he yeah, well, Chuck yeah. Stanley's boy, huh? Oh, Chuck yeah. Stanley. Yeah, right. Okay. He loves him. Yeah, he loves him. In that job, how do you define a success? Okay, so that's like the hardest part for me mm-hmm. because it's like. I have that same issue. Right. As, yeah. I mean, well. it's, it's near impossible. So I've kind of only defined it anecdotally. And, and I realized that like, you know, like, so I, I can point to like very small numbers of people that I know for a fact, my efforts made a difference in them either living a life of like radical discipleship or co- actually coming back to church. So I don't count like what I think is happening. What I think is happening is a massive renewal is happening in our parish you know, spurred on by this more charismatic culture that we've set up. But I never say that because I, you know, I I don't have any hard data, but I could point you to several families, people, probably like 50 to 60 people that I know had a massive impact in their life just because of the things that we've done and changed. So it's all anecdotal, to be honest with you. That's cool. And a lot of it, I guess, is faith. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe that's how you feel. Like, you know, you preach the gospel, and you know that the gospel is going to come to fruition. So. Do you preach the gospel at all times, but only when necessary, use words? I hate that quote so much. <laughs> oh, go on. It. <laughs> no, because I'm obsessed with St. Francis, and so I know for a fact that that was never said, uh, come out of his mouth. Absolutely not. So I know that that's a lie, probably from the devil even though the quote's not that bad, but, um, <laughs> but I just, it just, it bugs me to no end. And actually, Oh, this is crazy. I was just like called in to do a faculty retreat not too long ago at a school that shall remain unnamed. And I was talking about how it is an absolute necessity for someone to share their faith, like verbally, like that, that you must do this. You must give witness. And I was literally like, people were yelling at me. I mean, it was not a controversial <laughs> thing, but literally like a nun was like pointing her finger at me and yelling at me by the end of the talk. What, what was she saying? 
she was just talking about how like this is ridiculous. Like you can you can absolutely be a perfect gospel without ever telling anyone about Jesus. And I just I said, you know, it's the problem is that like, you know, people are in danger of hell. Like your kids that you're teaching are in danger of hell. And if you don't take that chance, and so she was offended that I was saying you're not taking the chance to save them from hell. Um, and I think probably at the core of it, she doesn't really necessarily agree that they're in danger of hell. And I would think that that idea would go against the notion to go and make disciples. Right, right. So so the – I mean it was, it was shocking to me. Like I was very shocked that I was receiving any flack at all. But um, – but <laughs> it, it is was so it, weird. But it was really intense. You know, you hired me to. Right, right. Yeah, strange. Right. And I mean, I talk about any number of controversial things throughout the year, but this was not one of them. And sure enough, I was just being attacked. I think one of the reasons was that, they, like, they came in, I came in, and they knew I was from Franciscan and expected me to be like a, like, I don't know, like annoying. I don't even know what to say. I know what you mean. Yeah. I've had that before. Right. So it was like yeah. there was a bias ahead of time. So. Yep. Yep. And and they expect you to be a certain kind, like to be right. in their face about everything. Right. And you were right. like, everyone, right. you know, and, right. and be the orthodoxy of police. Right. and yeah. right. The ultra orthodox from Franciscan University. Which right. we are. Don't get right. me wrong. Right. <laughs> we, are, we are the guardians of all things holy and good. <laughs> orthodox <laughs> rocks my socks. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah, so they were like offended by that, and then one of the teachers made a comment that it would there would be there would be no difference between teaching a high school student transcendental meditation or just Christian meditation, and we just like it exploded at that moment. Like I felt like I, my nose was going to start bleeding. I got so angry, so I just like, I just like let them have it, and it just did not go well. There was a fire fight. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that is that is awesome. I love stories like that because they never happen to me. I'm really? always in like nice places that invite me out. Like literally last week I told at a parish staff retreat I was doing, I told their staff if you don't pray, you should quit because you are a couple days away from driving the church into another scandal. We don't need you here. We don't need people who uh, – it doesn't matter if you're a janitor or the pastor or somewhere in between. You are viewed as the church, and if you are not praying – and then I did a whole catechesis on prayer. I was like, if you're not doing that, please either A, start today, or B, quit your job tomorrow right. because we can't we can't stand to have you. We can't. Right. Right. Yeah, I say, sit I say in the pew. all the time. <laughs> say it all the time. I say it all the time to like – the teachers at our school or like even like my CCD teacher and stuff like that. Like if you're driving in and you know that we have no subs or anything like that, but you are not here for the single reason that you're here to bring children to Christ, then just turn around and I will not be mad. Go home because that's the only reason we want you. The fact that there's a person at a Catholic school and a parish that is talking about that and that is actually like saying those those things is freaking fantastic wait but i thought the culture and where you're at is a lot is awesome with that kind of stuff no um uh, depends upon where you go okay well where am i who knows <laughs> <laughs> we don't even know your last name are you even a person a land of mystery and wonder but i mean it's 
<laughs> I can attest from my experience in uh, places out in California that and in other parts of other country that it's um, it's not the case. You're in the minority if you have that type okay. of in mind. I mean, I think there is I think anyone who's at a Catholic school or at a Catholic parish has they want to do good things and they could be in a probably about 80 to 90 percent of all of of all of the reasons are correct just said that 20 to 10 percent is a really big deal you know it can be things like abortion or it can be things like what they view what they view as equality and you know the whole like litany of of other stuff that really i mean it can almost create scandal yeah it's interesting because actually recently it, here it doesn't seem to be anything like that's a huge scandal. It's more like their ideas of what it means to be like a radical Christian. So we ha- we're having this discussion recently about like uh, Catholic identity and how Catholic identity needs to be kind of beefed up. And one of the people in the conversation took that to mean, well, yeah, that's right. What we need to do is do more service projects, mm-hmm. which was so interesting to me that that is what they jumped to. Where, you know, I'm all about, sir. I love service projects. You know, I want to do that kind of stuff. But that is exactly the problem is that they don't see it necessarily as a more intense relationship as they do as more like intensely outward focus or, or on like community or something like that. Yeah, you think um, the the funny thing is, as I do stuff at different parishes, the you have one half that cannot understand Catholicism outside of the doctrine and the doctrine is all that matters right so being a good catholic means you know all the good doctrines right right. (laughs) and you stand on the correct which you know the right side of doctrinal disputes and all this stuff it's really funny because it's actually like a freshman 101 level of knowledge of that doctrine right you know you read like like it's like an apologetics level of theology rather than a theological level and they will argue the shit out of you They will argue over every little thing, but that's how they define Catholicism. And then you go on the left, and they define Catholicism as service to the poor. And they define the poor in, you know, the marginalized, the forgotten, the alienated, the homeless, the whatever. And the hilarious thing is trying – is encountering both of those groups in the same place and trying to teach the one gospel. To both of those groups who equally think the other side is going to burn in hell. Right, yeah. And, yeah. and not really burn in hell because they don't believe in hell. But they, you know, like, it's, the <laughs> yeah. most, it's the most bizarre situation. And so I did this event at a diocese that has like an ultra – like they would call themselves an ultra-progressive campus ministry. And another one who is kind of held up as like the the – they would not consider themselves ultra-conservative by any means. They're, they're like, we're just faithful to the gospel. But within that context, I didn't even know that was going to happen. And I walked in and they were like, oh, hey, such and such a group actually showed up today. They never come to these things. Um, they are going to yell at you. Whoa. Like just realize <laughs> that they are going to yell at you. Yeah. I said, well, I'm just talking about the basic gospel message. Right. And they were like, they don't agree with that. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So that my whole approach was uh, – you know, you, you have to say it in a way that 
makes them agree with you and then you take it to the next step and where they want to disagree but they already are there you know so it was like yeah, you yeah. know jesus christ did not come to give us a moral law so right. that we could wag our fingers at our neighbor and condemn them instead right. of love right. them and right. they're like hell yeah and i'm like jesus yeah. christ gave us an example to follow to serve the poor and love the poor hell yeah yeah. And you're like, and what are we doing changing the liturgy? It's God's <laughs> gift to us. And what are we doing telling people that abortion's okay? Life right. is God's gift to us. Right. And they're like, right. wait, what? Wait, you know, what and you I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm just a prophet and I'm really good at my job. So, yeah, well, probably. 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 Prophet to the nations. Um, But okay. So, Luke, did you have anything you want to jump in there with that? Or no. Are we good? I was going to do a stupid joke, but do a joke, do a joke, do a joke. No, 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 no. do a joke. The time has passed. (laughs) You got to have the moment, kind of like a sneeze. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You can't go back and get that sneeze back. (laughs) I've tried. I've used so many different types of pepper. Doesn't work. Right. Dave, I thought you'd be a lot funnier. You're just saying right. (laughs) You're not laughing at all. Whoa, whoa! I know that was rough right there. Challenge accepted, All I Dave. Can, honestly, I'm I'm kind of preoccupied by I I've been wanting to say this since we've been on Gumer. <laughs> Gumer. Because that's all every time I see hear your name, that's what I think of. What's that from? It's one time where I lived next to Gomer, like his his gantry machine picked up and some guy was going, Gumer. Gumer <laughs> over and over again. It was and my I, friend, my friend I've Chris. I always Miller. thought it was funny. Yeah, Chris Miller did that. Gilmer. Gilmer. Yeah. I remember that. Oh, your best friend, Chris Miller? Cool. Yeah, the one who was the best man at my wedding. That's awesome. Listen, guys, I'm not going to mediate between two. I'm not going to mediate between this little love. Oh, you're going to. This is why we have you here, actually. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, Luke just got married, and we need you to intervene because I'm still hurt that I wasn't the best man. (laughs) Who was the best man? My brother in law. Oh, interesting. By all family. accounts, a great guy who gave Shiny the best best man speech. He gave the, listen, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. But <laughs> his best, Asshole. you might side with me until you hear this. His best man speech was a drinking game. That's awesome. It was pretty great. To was, Luke Trivia. And it was, oh, yeah. my goodness, that's awesome. It was pretty awesome. It was actually incredibly moving, and it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. it was great. He did the, the, the one Cheers to him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He did this one line, though, where he goes, how many of you have listened to Luke and Gomer's podcast or, or heard Luke talk about it and everyone takes a drink? And then he goes, how many of you have ever thought during the podcast that you just want Luke to get to the freaking point? And then I just stood up staring at Luke drinking and I drank the whole cup. He chugged his whole beer and just stared at me the whole And he was like across the room oh, and everyone awesome. was laughing. Awesome. Somehow I made the best man speech all about me, <laughs> including Aunt D to Aunt D to Aunt D Aunt D. We always talk about Aunt D on other podcasts because Aunt D is a shit. Oh, OK. By the way, when you were just talking about the name of the podcast the other day, this whole time I thought for some reason I thought Catching Foxes had to do with the story of Samson. I don't know why, but I just so I so I assumed like, oh, it had to do with Samson. And then you obviously told me that it wasn't that at all. Mm. I felt yeah, not even close. Yeah, yeah, not even close. I had one person say that I work with. She's like, hey, I listened to your podcast. And I just went, oh, no. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't. Oh, shoot. Uh, that, shucks. Uh, that happened to me with um, I was at this thing with evangelical Catholic. And I, and I talked about how 
I had a podcast and this really nice, sweet, innocent girl comes up to me and goes, you have a podcast? And I was like, yeah. She goes, what is it called? I love like, podcasts, no. like uh, Catholic stuff. You should know Father Mike, Sh- Mike Schmitz. I was like, oh, just so you know, there's an explicit tag. Uh, <laughs> and you see like her face just go like, oh, well, I don't know if I really have time that, you know, and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is awkward. Yeah. See you I, later. Yeah. Do you saw that little twinkle in her eye of like, Yes, more holiness, and then you're like, "Oh, oh, that's not holy at all." <laughs> that's um, that's <laughs> disturbing. So, Dave, tell us why we're great. Why you're great? No, just kidding. Uh, no, we were, no, we no, were... no. Let, let's hear him out. <laughs> uh, I don't feel comfortable with this. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> that's not what you said a couple years ago. Yeah, I've always thought you were great. I've always thought you you were both very great, although. I do associate every time I hear Gomer, I think about that time that uh, that I heard his his answer machine, and then every time I think of you, Luke, then I think about the time that I came over uh, to your house and you slept for literally an hour and a half while we were all around you. You were on the couch sleeping, and like literally a party was going on, and you did not wake up. <laughs> then, then when you had Fazzy on, I thought about the first time I met him. I walked into your common room, and he, no joke, had never met me before looked me right in the eye, picked a giant booger out of his nose, and wiped it on the wall behind him. I am not exaggerating. <laughs> I think I've heard that. That story. is That's absolutely awesome. the truth. That is the truth. That story. is horrific. It that is horrific. Awesome. Yeah, it was terrible. And then I think he accused me of having an oral fetish. <laughs> yeah, that was my introduction to AMDG. Do you have an oral fetish? Yeah, exactly. Why did he exactly say that? Like that? What? <laughs> I don't remember what? why. I don't remember what the context Did was. Did you keep but... trying to kiss his toes or something? Like <laughs> <laughs> no, I hate feet. You know that. You should know that. <laughs> hey, uh, are those uh, sandals you're wearing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, so we did have some spe- some specific things we we're going to ask you. Or we could just keep going like this. I don't, don't want to talk going. about anything other than the idea of you kissing Adam's toes. Gross. <laughs> that is gross. I apologize. So the devil. You fought it before? <laughs> sure every morning when i wake up i i like to think of it you know like we check for the boogeyman in the closet the devil checks for me in this closet <laughs> before he goes to bed no. he, he should be scared he should he should he should be you saw my dreams yeah seriously <laughs> hey so uh a little background so i've known dave um since what maybe your sophomore year right. um and uh he lived next door to me uh, when I was at his RA, his noble, wise RA. Mm-hmm. And we used to have conversations. Uh, you weren't a theology major. You were business, right? Yeah, I was business and philosophy. Yeah, that's weird. And uh, <laughs> good thing you work for the church. That'll come know. in handy. I know. Yeah, it really has. <laughs> so we used to uh, have conversations. The fun part was our weekly meetings where you were like, Gomer, come sit with me and this girl, Amber. And I was like, the Amber? Yeah. Like, the Amber. And he's like, yeah, right? She actually wants to have lunch with me. We, like, hang out in the pub all the time. And I was like, "Uh, what do you do there? And you're like, egg sandwiches with barbecue sauce on a croissant roll. It's amazing. And then I became addicted to that. So thank you. that's right. That's right. Oh, my gosh. That sounds so good right now. Oh, I think about that every single day. Yeah. Please don't think about Amber every day. No, 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 no. The sandwich. No, the sandwich. I'm thinking about it right now. (laughs) <laughs> hence the gaining of the weight um but uh so we would go and we would sit there and then uh <laughs> chit chat and then it became you started talking to me about 
a couple things in particular. One was the charismatic renewal yeah. and your experience of you're a community baby ish, right? Yeah, yeah. I was in a community. Yeah. yeah, so was Luke's. Do you know Luke was a community baby? I think so. Yeah. Yep. I don't know why my voice got so high pitched when I said that. Did you know Luke was a community baby? <laughs> Old school yeah. charismatic. Right. So what does that mean? If you, uh, Dave, tell a little bit of your side of that, and then maybe Luke chime in with your uh, your your experience. Okay, so basically I was born, you know, basically into the charismatic renewal. My family is part of a community. And what it means is that it's just like a group of, they were Catholics in my community, all Catholics, of people who like make a, like a solemn promise to each other to live a radical life together. And um, they call each other on. So it was like real similar, um, just different families uh, all raising their kids the same way. And it was like the... Still to this day, you know, the most radical on fire Christians I've met, uh, you know, I grew up around. So um, it was actually kind of sheltering um, compared to, you know, now seeing what, what it's like out there. So in a lot of ways, it was like kind of shocking to leave that. But um, it was awesome. I mean, I love the charismatic community and I, I still, you know, whenever I go back, it's like I feel like energized again. So what makes it uh, number one, what makes it charismatic? For okay. people that aren't familiar with that. And then number two, what made it such radical Christianity? Right. Okay. So basically all these people possess, you know, profess a, like a, a serious personal relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord. Right. So they would wake up every morning and be like, God, you're the Lord of my life. I center this day around you. What do you want me to do? And I mean that literally like they almost to the extreme. I always say like you meet the weirdest and best people in the charismatic renewal. So. Yep. So they're very like radical as far as like Luke their is both of them. Jesus Christ, right, right, and creepiest. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, but but basically, um, the reason what makes it charismatic is because they believe in a type of spirituality, a charismatic spirituality, um, that's centered around uh, like I guess I wouldn't call it a mystical phenomenon, but a spiritual phenomenon called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is a concrete moment when you feel the gifts of confirmation, the Holy Spirit stirred up inside of you. And you begin to sometimes experience these charisms, um, you know, which you can read about in scriptures, things like tongues, prophecy, discernment of spirits, those kinds of things. And so they would actively um, uh, foster those gifts and actively foster an environment that makes baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, possible. And so, yeah, that's what makes it charismatic. So when you're talking to charismatic gifts, I got a question for you. So. In First uh, Corinthians twelve, thirteen, fourteen, really thirteen talks about faith, hope, and love, mostly love. Uh, the charismatic gifts are those lists exhaustive, or would you find? I mean, do you do do you see like a whole lot of charismatic gifts kind of going on, more than just what's mentioned specifically in scripture? Or right, so yeah, I I would my opinion is that they are not exhaustive, and that okay, those gifts are like some of the main signs you can see of, of baptism in the Holy Spirit, but, and, and in fact, even within each gift, like it's manifested differently so often. So for instance, like a gift of prophecy, people would always, I would always say like, oh, I don't have any gifts. And then people would say, no, you have the gift of prophecy. And I thought that meant you told the future, right? Which is a possibility, right? Prophets sometimes tell the future. But what I realized what they meant was that I had an ability to preach the gospel, right? That, that that's real prophecy. So yeah. Very cool. And then, so, uh, just kind of going off that radical form of Christianity, I think a lot of people who want 
to be devout Catholics encounter so much mediocrity. And they you're not hearing people talk about their Catholic faith and what they did in like we don't have these big stories of of uh you know, I heard the gospel, it changed my life, so now I'm gonna go and be a full time missionary. That exists, but in a lot of like evangelical churches, because they're constantly proclaiming the charisma right. and they're constantly seeking adult converts, which is different for Catholics. Catholics aren't seeking adult converts, they're they're trying to make the infants that they baptize good catholics and then that's kind of it um wait correction catholics right now are just like holding on to sand in their hand as it slips through basically right now oh that's that's true. yeah but they're holding on really hard yeah so yeah, right. may, oh, actually it makes it worse never mind right. <laughs> so i guess you know like a lot of people leave because there is not and there's not sherry waddell talks about like there's not an expectation of god to show up right and so right. you just have these people who are like they actively like i was at this event where someone's like yeah and then this person said that god actually talks to him and he actually <laughs> talks to god so i was like whatever weirdo and it was a priest that was saying that so i was like well right. i gotta get out of here you right, know like right. and so you have these people that are striving to have a real relationship with god and it seems like so many people who hold leadership positions, staff members, all this stuff, that put the kibosh on it. What right. does it mean to live a radical Christian life today in the burbs? Right. So what you just said, like hit the head, you know, hit the nail on the head is that. Hit the head on the nail. Don't be that way. All right. So no, a- no, basically <laughs> don't make me slay you in the spirit from here. All right. Gomer. Um, no, no. What, what you just said was so important to live a life where that's a possibility, right? To live a life where God can speak to you and to live a life, not only where God can speak to you, but where you're called to literally go out into the world and be Christ to others and pray with people and for God to show up, like to have that kind of faith that that will happen is is one of the signs of a radical faith right this idea that look when i pray with this person i you know i fully believe that this can happen i remember very vividly like this being expressed to me one time when we some the guy who used to lead our community he was setting up for the prayer meeting and a woman came in and she had like this problem where one leg was shorter than the other and she said, could you pray with me to this guy? And the guy said to me, David, let's go pray with this this woman. And I remember she was sitting there and he would, had his eyes closed. He was just praying and I was watching this woman. And as, as I am sitting here right now, I watched that woman's leg literally grow. And I remember hitting him on the back and being like, are you seeing this? And he like looked up at me like I was such an idiot and was like, yeah, that's what we were praying for. And I was like, yeah, of course. I know we were praying for that, but I didn't believe it would actually happen. You know, and so like when you <laughs> live crazy. this life, yeah, right. It was insane. When you live a life where you believe like there is no impossibility that like that Christ makes all things possible. And so we would never limit him. Right. So and I always I always like say this. I've recently I've gotten like really obsessed with the sport of strongman. I like love it. I'm crazy about it. <laughs> and it's like the same thing that makes it awesome is the same thing that really kills our relationship with God, right? That you look at this guy and you think there's no way he can lift this. And then he does. But when we go to Jesus, right, and we say there's no way he can do this, that limits his work in our life. And so to live a life of radical Christianity, basically, in my mind, is like you never limit what God can do in your life, right? Right. 
So, um, you know, I, I grew up around people who did not limit Christ. And when I got out into, I guess, I don't know, mainstream Catholicism, I was shocked like what was happening because I, I grew up in such a sheltered environment. Here's a, an apologetics question for you. Okay. Let's say someone is sitting in their, in their uh, car driving to work and they're listening to this. They want to believe what you're saying is true. Right. Mainstream Catholic, they want to believe that God still does big things, that miracles right. and interventions and huge, huge, like life-altering you know, events still occur. They look at their life. Right. And they look at their sickness, someone, their loved one who is sick, right. who is faithful and devout and prayed every day for God to heal them, and they weren't healed. They did not have enough faith. Were they not radical enough? Does that not even matter? What 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 would you say to someone out there? Right. Yeah. Not you know this is like hits close to home for my family because you know I think you guys know like Max, my son Max, who's five now. You know he was born and he had cerebral palsy. And we pray over Max every day, you know, and for, you know, three years we thought, you know, this is going to, he's going to be healed. He's going to be healed. And we're still, you know, waiting for God to work in that way. But, you know, as the years go by, you kind of start to lose that fervor that you had at the beginning. And so I completely understand, right, that person's idea, right, that, well, why am I not holy enough? Like, why is this not working, right? And so, one of the things that, that's most important, right, is not the gifts and not these huge actions, but the, the most important miracle, right, is that God is speaking to us and wants to have a personal relationship with us. And so the mo most important thing is not necessarily to say, like, well, why isn't God healing this person? To me, what, what the most important thing is to say, God, what is going on in this situation? How are you acting in this situation? Uh not, not, he shouldn't be asking you or he shouldn't be asking me. He should be asking God because the possibility for God to answer is real and it, and it happens. And each day, you know, I learn more about that through, through my relationship with my son, Max. And I learn more about, you know, how God is closest to us oftentimes in our sufferings, right? And that he many times uses suffering to teach, right? God is constantly being pedagogical. He's always teaching us, right? And so, you know, I feel for those people because, I definitely was that way and was always trying to be a better person, thinking that maybe if I'm a better person, then I'll pray over Max and he'll be healed. And it took a long time for me to say, look, God, I'm going to, I'm going to let you be the Lord of the situation, but I want you to, to tell me, teach me through this and tell me what it means, you know, what, why you're doing all this. What did, what did God say? <laughs> what, what's he teaching you right now? Yeah. So I remember one of the very first things that, you know, God said was that, uh, uh, thank you for, cause I remember being so angry, you know, I, you know, I had like such a lucky, or I shouldn't say lucky, such a blessed life, such an easy life. So when they told us about Max, actually, uh, yesterday was the five year anniversary when they told us to, it was on the feast of our lady of sorrows that they told us. I remember saying to God, like, I don't know what the hell just happened but you're going to tell me and I'm going to be quiet until you do. And I remember for a month, I went to a prayer time. I did not say a word other than, are you going to tell me now? And it was like, you know, kind of just getting hit by a train. And I remember after a month, wow. it was almost like God was saying like, finally you shut up for once in prayer so that I can talk to you. And that was like the most incredible gift is that like all of a sudden I realized like, wait a minute, 
this is two way, right? This isn't one way. Like I, I'm supposed to be listening here, not just telling them what I want. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, for so, so learning that is like, you know, the most incredible lesson, but also just that, you know, Christ is closest to us in our sufferings and learning to, to know that God loves Max more than I do, right? More than I do. Even my own son, like God loves him more. And so he has his, his interest at heart, you know? Wow. That's really cool, man. Well, we just got really intense here. Yeah. Well, so part of like, I, we always say this and I realized that Luke struck gold on our very first episode where he said, we want discussion, not instruction. And part of this is, uh, I was just talking Luke, by the way, the servants called me today. They're going to be on our interview show two weeks from now. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have, uh, a couple of them. We don't know exactly who, but, uh, I was talking with them and I said, when we do these shows, we want people to be as honest as possible with everything. Like, especially the part that they don't get about their faith, you know, like the part that the struggle hashtag, the struggle is real. Um, and here you are, someone who saw a woman's leg grow right. in front of your eyes, and you kind of didn't even expect it to happen, <laughs> and it did. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, a decade later or whatever, and you have your son, Max, uh, who I've had the pleasure of meeting, I think, three times now. Um, mm-hmm. And and you're praying, you're saying the same words, you know, and yet something different is happening. Right. Um, and I just think that, I don't know. There's so many people who lose their faith who had it and then hurt came and they demanded healing. Right. Right. And it didn't happen. I mean, like, I mean, I, 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 some of the sweetest people I know when they get cancer, um, you know, in their faith and they're like, no, 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 I believe the Lord can heal me. Right. It's like, yeah, the Lord, the Lord. And I feel like this is like part of mainstream Catholicism, right? The good Catholics will say, yeah, the Lord can heal you, but he's probably not. Right. And you should be preparing yourself for the not to happen. Right. Because you right. don't want to say to someone, yes, he can heal you. You pray for him to heal you. No healing happens because God has his reasons. And we're like, well, crap, we're on the line for that promise, too. Right. Uh, you know, and we, you know, some people pull the bullshit answer like, oh, well, you don't have enough faith. Right. Um, and sometimes it's true. People have zero faith and they're like, prove it. I'm in your face. And God's right. like, forget you. Right. Uh, brother Peter Francis tells this awesome story where he was going to pray over a girl who injured her neck as a cheerleader. Uh, They threw her up in the air and didn't catch her. And, uh, she was on a confirmation retreat. She was with two of her friends and they're like, I heard you talk about the gifts of healing. Can you heal my neck? And he, and so he started to pray and he's like, can we pray right now? And she's like, yes, he started to pray. And then he looked over at one of the girls and says, you need to leave. You're not here because you care. You're just here to prove God wrong. And she's Whoa. like, whatever. And she stormed away. And then as soon as he did, she was, she went down, <laughs> slain in the spirit. And uh, she came up and he had her move her neck around and she had full rotation back. And then her friend goes, how do you feel? And she started crying and she goes, I love my dad. I oh forgive my, my father. Oh my and God. a huge, this awesome. huge thing, right? <laughs> this huge thing in her heart was her and her father were in this epic, like multi-week fight. Yeah. And she got injured, and she had to go to the confirmation retreat that she didn't want to go on. Right. And here, Brother Peter's like, I'm going to pray for you for healing. Is there anything else? She's like, and some stuff with my dad. And then she can, you know, get rid of the friend, get, yeah. you know, pray. And this girl had, like, next to no faith. But I, I don't know. For me, I feel like it kind of reveals, and this is my big bugaboo right now. 
like a works-based righteousness, right? Like I've, right. I've earned this, God. You right. owe me. Right. You know, I've been good my whole life. I pray, and, I, and for me, we have friends that we love uh, so dearly who can't have kids, and at right. the same time, we have we know a a drug addict who can't stop having kids and right. just giving them away and maltreating them. And uh, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, God, but they're so good, and you know, like they right. go to church and they. And, and I just I, now I'm realizing like that's one of the symptoms of a works based righteousness where you're like, I've earned it, and I don't really care about heaven. I just want you to fix my life right now. Right, right. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, you know, like going along in the same theme, like one of the best lessons like a priest ever told me was, you know, like I would I would continually kind of I, I don't know if this sounds right, but like make excuses for God. In yeah, this situation yeah, yeah. with Max, and I remember a priest saying to me, "Like, why are you BSing God in prayer?" And I remember the first time that I went to prayer, and I was like, "I'm so angry at you," and it was like the first time our relationship was real. And you know, I mean, it's a, it's like what they always say: like, it can't it can't be any different than your relationship with your wife. In my case, right? That like, if I always pretended like everything was okay, what kind of a relationship is that? You know. Yeah. But if you're honest, you know, and I think that's like a big thing that people are never told to be honest in their relationship with God. They're just kind of told to like gloss it over, you know, like God will be there. Just know that it was there, but just continue to, you know, tell him you love him, which is good. But at the same time, like you're, you're hiding emotions that he wants you to bring to the forefront and that he's already seeing. Right. So why, why deny that they're there? Yeah. I, I think that that's a thing that I, when I look back on on my life and I think about when uh, the faith was uh, the hardest, I I, I can remember this at uh, this one point in time during when we were in college, I was really upset over God knows what, probably a girl. And uh, God probably. knows exactly what. It was a girl. <laughs> Poor girl. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just God that knows that. It's our entire audience who has been with us. Every story starts off with, so I broke up with a girl and I was really depressed. <laughs> I know. Half the time, I was the one who was like, listen, you're great. I just can't do this. And I'm like, oh, why can't I do this? Um, and I remember I was. it was so bad I was going to – a counselor and she asked me if I still believed in miracles which was really weird for me to hear because I was like no fix my emotional problems like fix my inside <laughs> you know and and I was like I don't I don't. I I'd gotten so upset that and, yeah. and really and I, honestly this day I think I still struggle with that at times with the idea of like can miracles actually happen because one of the things that I've had to learn is that God is in reality that he's not just this thing that is that he, that he's you know that he, that he is not this being that is in that it, that you know breaks into our lives but he's in all aspects of right. our lives and then so i think well then if he's in if he, if he's in a reality then like why are the gospels they contain all of this they contain all of this all this healing and there are people who have cancer who die like where like what like where does that line like where's that line drawn and and I still don't know and I'm I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that a bit right yeah and for, probably we'll never know right i mean that's like been the mm-hmm. theme of my yeah. life for the last 5 years with me yeah. so 
Yeah, and I mean, I remember um, I heard a great talk over at our buddy Kissinger's church. This was probably like eight years ago. And it was a woman who I believe was her. It was um, her daughter had some type of a disability and she took her out of Lords and it just was doing all this stuff. And it just really and she, and her daughter wasn't being wasn't really being like healed until God spoke to her. But the mom and just said, you need to accept this. Right. You just need to accept this. And like this is about you accepting that like. This just isn't going to change, and that is that means it's. But it's still going to be good. It's still going to be okay, and that rocked my world hearing that because I think, like all this, you know, uh, there are times when I think it's hard to go. Um, this pain can actually have a purpose. It can actually have, you know, it. God might, he there, you know, he might want me to have this, and that can be a sometimes uh hard to wrap your mind around yeah and you, and you know like un- unfortunately i've seen like how the pendulum swings like this idea that well god might want you to have it and then it swings the opposite side of like no no god is a god of miracles he's gonna heal or something like that and i remember like one of the hardest parts about even being like in the franciscan community and and having max and asking people to pray for him to be healed was that people were like deeply offended by that. Uh, we got a lot of very strange emails and letters where mm. we would say, like we would ask, like even on Facebook, we'd say like, please pray for a miracle for Max. So many people would write in and say, or write to us and say, you know, Max is already a miracle. And I would get so mad because I think, I know he's already a miracle. That doesn't yeah. mean we're not going to pray. I, you know, I, that was like very hard because it was like the opposite end, you know, like, uh, you know, that doesn't mean we're not going to pray that, you know, God heals him. Like, cause we believe God can act in that situation. Wow. Yeah. yeah that was That's crazy. Yeah. I wanted to punch a lot of people. That I couldn't believe the people would have the balls to, to yeah, do that. I was, I was shocked too. Cause I would never think, you know, first of all, well, you know where that's coming from. Write the letter, but, but you know, I, yeah, I mean, you know, you know where that's coming from. That's coming from a place where in our culture, right. I mean, every, I mean, we're we're really starting to understand like disabilities and all that stuff and their rightful place and normalization and all that stuff that it's almost like someone being like, well, your son, you, you don't need a miracle because, right. you know, like then you're saying there's something. I mean, obviously there is something physically wrong with him, but right. he's not any less of a person. Right. And right. you need to be reminded of that. And right. I need to be the one to right. remind you. Yeah, right. It was like, absolutely that. Absolutely. And I understand because a lot of people, like if they had a kid who had cerebral palsy who yeah. was 18 and hadn't been healed, right? Like it was almost like they were, um, you know, like offended that we were going to try and get this healing, you know? So, uh, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a long ride. But it is, it is wild to me. When you start, so Brother Peter Francis uh, initiated me into the wacky world of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal right. um, by, uh, I was in my boxers and undershirt in our <laughs> apartment where I lived in, oh, yeah. and he was like, we're just going to pray for the Holy Spirit right now. And I was standing in my kitchen next to the microwave, and I'm like, okay. And then we, we began to do it, because I would talk to him every night. I'm like, so what do you mean you have the gift of healing? And he goes, I don't have the gift of healing. I have whatever gift God wants to give me in that moment for that person. It's all God. It's not me. And I'm like, 
okay, so I get the disclaimer. Right. What do you mean you have the gift of healing? <laughs> yeah, right, you know? right, 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 sure. Yeah. And he would tell a story about praying over someone whose knee was swollen and physically while he's holding it, the swelling completely disappears, you know, goes down and and just things like that. And um, and I remember that I, I was like, you know, like it's not that I want to be – I mean I am a narcissistic individual who desires attention at all times. But uh, it's not that I want to be the center of attention of miraculous things happening like Gomer healed a guy. Right. But I – for me it was like this is proof for me that God is still working in the world. Right. Th- that that the gospel – it almost was like, like a healing today is almost like an apologetic of the miracles of yesterday. Right, you hear all these wonderful stories of Jesus casting out demons and doing mighty works, and then the apostles doing them, and every so often saints do them, and then you're like, yeah, but like you feel like you almost, and I've even heard preachers and priests say, yeah, but that was then, you know, like the Son of God came into the world. There's a lot more demon possessions, a lot more miraculous things happening now. It's almost like the residue is gone from His holiness, and now it's just like, okay, we're back to normal. Um, And then I started praying with people. And we started, like, I'll never forget this one guy, Pat, that we prayed over, one of my teens. We did a Born in the Spirit retreat, and we said, you know, what do you need prayer for? And he's like, well, I was lifting weights and trying to be all fancy, and uh, I put on too much weight to bench press, and it came crashing down on me, and it tore the ligaments or tendons or I don't know physiology uh, in my shoulders, and I can no longer play baseball because I can't wind up and throw the ball anymore. And so Kelsh is like, or Brother Peter is like, show me your range of motion. And so he's like showing how, like, if I pull back this far behind my head, it hurts. If I put it too far in front of my chest, this is where it hurts. He's like, so I can't be an outfielder anymore, and I have to literally quit my favorite sport. And so we prayed over him, and it was both sides that hurt, but, you know, principally it's your throwing arm that's going to be the most problematic. And so we prayed over him. And he was 100% healed in that moment. And his, and his, he's like, oh, my gosh, I got my arm. You know, awesome. and it was insane. And then Kelsch goes, can we pray for the other one? And he's pointing at him, and he says, uh, um, he's like, no, I mean, I'm fine. And he just looks at him. He's like, are you serious? You're fine? I did, we just healed you, and you're like, no, nah, that's cool, dude. Right. And so we prayed <laughs> over his other his other shoulder and just this crazy things start happening. And he had full range of motion in both shoulders instantaneously. Another woman was having seizures. She couldn't lift up her newborn child. Uh, We asked her to lift up something heavy in front of us. She couldn't lift up a a bench that was there. We pray over her and she starts lifting up the bench and she's going, Oh my God, I can do it. You know, it's like (laughs) miracles happening. Yeah. And then, um, uh, the we pray over a woman who's dying, and Kelsch comes up to me, and he's like, I've, I've never done this before. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I've never prayed over someone who's dying. Uh-huh. And I go, well, what's going to happen? He goes, I don't know, man. Maybe she'll be totally healed and be totally fine. I was like, that'd be cool. And he's like, yeah, it'd be real cool. <laughs> so we prayed over this woman no longer. Ideal, Let's go for uh, that. A scenario. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be. She was jaundiced. Her body was shutting down. The you know toxins going back into her blood and gave her the, that jaundiced look. Um, she was really angry at God for killing her. That's her words. Um, Because there's so many toxins in her bloodstream, her mind was going. Um, But when she was lucid, um, she was angry. Um, She was kind to her friends. She wasn't like bitter all the time. But she had a 17 and a 19-year-old boys that she was going to leave behind. And she was in this hospice and she was dying. And my friend asked me to pray with her. And so I called 
brother Peter and we came up there and we just prayed over this woman and he was so nervous and so was I. Um, and he's like, we were hoping to see the jaundice go away. And we prayed with her and she just got so happy and she was like, thank you, thank you. And she repeated the prayer that we were saying and just different things. Afterwards, her friend stayed with her. And then her two boys came um, after we had left and she said, boys, you'll never believe what just happened. They were like, what? They were like, uh, she said, God sent two angels to pray over me today. And then she said, and I am ready to go home to my father. Like this massive internal healing. And we're like, come on, Lord, keep her here. Keep her healthy. Let her dance a jig, you know. And God's like, no, I'm calling her home. But before I do, your words are going to bring healing. You know, my healing. It was was insane. Right. Yeah. Don't you think, I mean, in your involvement in the renewal for all these years and like Luke's involvement, like we talk, we always talk about the physical healings, but like yeah. mm-hmm. the internal healings, like Trump every, you know what I mean? Everything. Like, they just oh, yeah. make them look like they're nothing. And I think like, you know, you, you made like such an interesting point about like how you, you see like them as proof, like an apologetic for the miracles of old. Right. I grew up around miracles like that. And even my involvement with like spiritual warfare and stuff like that, I grew up around like the crazy, more fantastical miracles. It wasn't until like the real miracle, like of God, like changing my heart, right. Of God, like freeing me from sin and things like that, that I started to have like my real faith grounded, uh, you know, because I, it was like, I kind of almost got used to those, you know, what was the craziest thing that you've ever seen? Like if if you could say this one thing and I oh like this was just nuts. What would that be? Do you mean like an exorcisms? Yeah, sure, why not? Okay, so <laughs> I I want to uh, this is very special to me because I have been talking with Dave about this. Yeah. And I really Luke Luke is he's a heroic man. Uh he's a beautiful man. He's a newly married man. But I just feel David because I think you could have stories that'll keep Luke awake at night for a month <laughs> so because scared. he's going to be so scared. But well, I, I want this – literally, I just wanted to talk about exorcisms and deliverance ministry the right. entire time right. because that is so weird to so many people. Right. But I think it is so absolutely necessary for today. Yeah. Right. And I want this – you know, it's like what's the world's problems? Well, we got porno- pornography yeah. addiction and like, right. you know, deliverance ministry needs. So uh, – I want you to talk about your experience, number one, in deliverance ministry, and that's a careful word. That's a theologically accurate word. And then number two, you're assisting at things like exorcisms and home blessings and things like that. Yeah. So so the very first introduction, I was 16 years old and – which should never happen, right? Like a 16 year old should never be exposed to this ministry at all because it's dangerous. It is – there's no question about it. It is dangerous. I – I listened to demonology tapes. A demonologist oh, <laughs> recorded okay. these three cassette okay. tapes, and my my parents picked them up, and they were like, "Oh, demonology! That sounds crazy. Let's listen to this." Yeah. And then I listened to it with my friend Chris Miller um, when we were in high school. We were probably fourteen, fifteen. Yeah. And uh, I was so terrified that yeah. I had this 
Guatemalan crucifix that a priest had given us. And I looked up and we both looked up at it at the same time and we realized that one of Jesus's eyes were open. And it's not that his eye opened. It's that it was such faded paint that we never noticed it until we were like on edge. And then we saw that and we were like, we are never going to sleep again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely scared the first time. And actually it was funny because I know I was 16 because it was the first time I ever drove on my own. Was to oh was to gosh. assist the priest, and it wasn't supposed to be any deliverance. It was during a he- <laughs> it was during a healing mass. That is, that yeah, is a during, typical American story. Yeah, right it there. was during a healing mass, and a woman just you know wigged out. You know, it was really awful, and and uh, I'll never forget. I mean, I won't be able to describe it over the over the airwaves like this, but but there were like five hundred people at this mass, and this woman was just saying the most vile things, just. Just terrible, terrible things, screaming them, and the priest, you know, who I was close with, said, "Take, take her into the sacristy." And so I like grab this lady, and she's just like, ugh, just screaming horrible things at me, like struggling. And we go, and I had never been in this church before; it was brand new. And so I opened the door of the sacristy, and it was like the only way I could try was like a moon shape, where like. The door was at the beginning of the moon, and then it arced backwards, and there was no door in the back. And as soon as I opened the door to get away from the Eucharist, she just bolted into the back, and the lights were off. <laughs> I mean, it's like a movie, you know. And uh, and I didn't know where the light switch was, so I'm like, like, like literally, like peeking my head in, like, "Hello, are you in there?" <laughs> you know, not knowing where this where this lady is. So I like am like creeping along the wall, like feeling for the light switch, you know, and finally I, you know, flip the light switch and this poor woman is up on a bookshelf, per- like a perch, like a bird, perch, like a bird and like hissing at me. And I mean, it, I mean, I might as well have just lost it right there. I mean, I was so scared, you know, at that moment because it just caught me off guard, but uh mm-hmm. But it was uh, you know, incredible, and I think every day I thank God for that woman because I that night I witnessed you know on, on a you know some really crazy spiritual warfare, and I you know it, it just like embedded my faith. And actually, every time I speak like at conferences or anything like that, I always think about that lady because I think I'm not necessarily here to build community. I'm not necessarily here to help you psychologically. I'm not necessarily here to make you feel warm and fuzzy. I am here because we have an enemy, right, who is real and will take us if we give him a chance. And so I always thank God for that. But that woman, um, you know, was eventually healed um, through the ministry of this priest that I was friends with. And so, you know, it was just an incredible faith building moment. But I was scared. You know, I was very scared going home, I remember, by myself um, from that, you know, because I, you know, I was scared just to drive anyways. But, you know, then I had to go home like that. So. I love the fact that that was your first time behind the wheel yeah. of a car. You're right. like, just going to healing mask. It'd right. be pretty cool. Yeah, right. And then, a, yeah, I thought I was awesome. going to like catch people who fell over, you know, and then sure yeah. enough, that was happening. But as far as like the craziest thing, you know, I've ever seen. Um, that wasn't it? No, no. the No, and no one even <laughs> will believe what I say. But, but basically – the I'll next believe. the very next case that we <laughs> that he asked me to to help with this time I was warned ahead of time you know he was a, this guy was a clairvoyant and so he you would walk in the room he'd immediately start talking about things that he about you 
that, you know, you, you never told anyone really, you know, he'd say things and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is just crazy. You know, but he had been in this battle for so long that he had kind of learned how to fight back himself. So he'd come in and out of this demonic trance, you know, and I remember specifically one time he was rolling around on the ground and he reaches into his pocket, you know, and pulls out a, a little tiny bottle of holy water. Okay. And he, he put, put it on his head, squirting it all over his head. And as, as I'm standing here today, I saw steam come right off of his head. It was the craziest. Oh my thing. gosh. Yeah, I was like, that is nuts, you know? And, uh, and during that, um, during that same session, uh, under command, the priest was, was making him recite things, making the demon recite things. And it was about the Eucharist. He was making him recite things about the Eucharist. And still to this day, the most eloquent and beautiful catechesis I've ever heard on the Eucharist was from the mouth of this, this demon, because he, he, you know, I mean, they obviously understand it even more than we do. They just despise it. But I remember, I remember him talking about, you know, how this is God stooping low to us, to his children, stooping low to his children so that he can hear us closer, you know, but uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Like, I'll be honest, at times, this is a thing that I struggle with. Not just like, is this really as real as we all like act like it is? You know, and, and, and I'm, and I, and I am not trying to put down your stories at all. Cause I, like, I, I mean, you you are a friend. So I, so I believe you 100%. It like just blows my mind. I guess is is what I'm trying to say. Like, wow, that's just crazy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I, I never talked about this. I mean, I talked about like with Gomer and like a few close friends, like my involvement until about three years ago when I just like started to see how much bad information was out there. So now I speak on it all the time and there's always someone who will come up and say, I listened to everything you said and I just, I just can't believe what you're saying to me. I just can't believe what you're saying to me. And, you know, I can understand that because it is strange. It is bizarre, but, um, it's, it's such terrible information that is out there like googling things like demonology and even catholic demonology even catholic deliverance like you will just find millions of pages of wrong information and bad stuff why are the most wrong people the most vocal (laughs) right right isn't it isn't that right and like the movie can you give a a a couple i'm I'm sorry you go ahead no the movies make me the most angry because Okay, so like the movie always portrays this, right? Like a massive struggle between a demon and a priest. And it's like, who's going to win? Is the demon going to win? Is the priest going to win? Is the demon going to win? Is the priest going to win? Right? And like that's not the way an exorcism works. Like demons are terrified of priests, absolutely horrified of priests, okay? And so they might act with all this pomp and pride like they're super powerful, right? But they are absolutely terrified of priests. And it's sad because a lot of priests are terrified of them and they don't realize, right, that like a person who's actually possessed doesn't want to be in a room, doesn't want to be in a building with a priest who has consecrated hands and who can hear confessions and say mass. They're terrified, right? So these movies, it's uh, an exorcism is more about a priest just beating on a demon, right? Torturing a demon, so that the person can gain some sort of freedom and say, yes, this is what I want. I want Jesus, not you, 
right? I've been told all these lies and I can finally get my head above water because of uh, this, this reprieve. And now I can participate in this. So it's just sick the way the movies portray it. Because it's like, what's the big, you know, the big question? Who's going to win? Who's going to win? Wow. Hashtag love wins every time. (laughs) Right. Love wins every time. Yeah. Yeah. Also, interestingly, you know, in its connection with evangelization. So the number one thing I see, and I'm sure there's people who are more expert than I that might disagree with me. But the number one tool I see that the devil uses with these people is he convinces them that at some point they've revoked either their baptism or their commitment to Jesus Christ. And so he says, well, when you did this action, that revoked it, okay? And so a person is having all these problems, right? It could could be problems in their home, could be physical problems, it could be, you know, possession, almost possession, something like that, right? And they're sitting across from me and they're saying, well, I did this ceremony and it revoked my baptism. And if I say to them the basic gospel message, do you know you were created and that God loves you and that God loves you so much that right, he pursued you and he continually pursued you and he sent his only son to die for your sins. And when you were baptized, you became an adopted son or daughter of God. And do you know that that can never, ever be revoked? That is impossible. It cannot be revoked that it is a lie. I, and and I'm telling you right now that that message right there will is enough to heal a lot of people who are demonically afflicted because that is the number one lie they use. So if they all of a sudden can say like, oh, yeah, wait a minute, I'm not – this isn't a contract. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I can go back. That's all they need, right? So it's like a powerful – evangelization is so much more powerful, right, than spiritual warfare in in a concrete sense, you know? Wow. So, uh, could you tell us what happened last night? <laughs> no, I can't. I can't do any any current current cases. Uh, oh. I'll, get, I'll, get in tr- I'll get in trouble. But a a, a very common case would be uh, <laughs> that something. Uh, most of our cases that, uh, and again, I'm I'm not as involved as I was a year ago because I'm just so busy at the parish. But uh, most of the cases that come in, you know, are house cases you know they hear something and it's usually 99% of the time squirrels in the attic or something like that right and so we would do like a serious investigations and uh but it, on occasion you know because demons for some reason love to take places i don't know why but they they it must be a pride thing they they really hold on to places very strong. no i read i was reading um some things beforehand uh preparing myself for this and I found out that there's actually three reasons why demons take certain places. Okay. Uh, and that's location, location, location. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, right. So. <laughs> wow, that was a bad that joke, serious? huh? No, it's tough. <laughs> Come on. You're, this is number you're three. horrible. Oh, yeah, David, man. Please, please continue with your uh, amazing story. I'll shut up now. So if it's real, right, then you would need to determine whether it's a, an infestation or a haunting, right? So a haunting would be benign. It would be more annoying than destructive, but in an infestation, right? Like this is an evil entity trying to ruin business or person or family, right? Usually family is targeted. And so um, you would basically want to make that place such a, a throne of Christ, right? Such a, like a, a place of the Holy spirit that the demons just can't stand anymore and they leave. Um, so, common things that would happen like in an infestation is like, you know, any kind of sacred objects would be, you know, 
tarnished or like broken, smashed, thrown in toilets, things like that. Um, you know, without anyone seeing it or knowing, or maybe they do see it happen, you know, right before their eyes, things moving, objects floating around, terrible, terrible smells like you can't imagine, uh, crazy weather that happens just over one house <laughs> that's happened. Um, and, uh, and I'll, I can tell you actually the most interesting thing I've ever worked on in my life. And this family speaks about it. So I know they wouldn't be upset if I talked about it, but, um, it was a family who the, the dad had fired someone at work who was involved with a coven, you know, a satanic coven. And I know a lot of people don't believe in that, but they are real and that happens. And the coven targeted this family. And so they would break into their family's house and place cursed objects in the house. And the most crazy things you could imagine would happen. For instance, this family did not even have television. Like they, they had televisions, but they wasn't hooked up to anything, not even an antenna. And so they'd come home and every television would be on. The volume would be turned up as high as possible and it would be playing hardcore pornography on all the screens. Oh, Just crazy, crazy things. Horrible things. Everything in their house that was sacred would be destroyed or desecrated. And I, I don't know if that was the demons or the or the actual coven members, but it, that would happen when they were gone or or even while they were home. The the woman reports that she had a crucifix that she wore every day, and she said, you know, she's up putting on a crucifix, saying her morning prayers in the mirror. That the the chain just came right undone, floated down, and went down the drain. They never found it again. And so this poor family for literally this took four years. Uh, didn't know what to do, you know, finally turned to the church, had this big conversion experience because of this and was finally able to make their house, you know, basically, I don't know, demon proof for lack of a better phrase, right? Like that they were finally able to gain back some peace in their home. Um, And it's just, I mean, the story is unbelievable, the stuff that happened, but it was a continuous battle between not just demons, but uh, actual occult members uh, and this family, all because he had fired someone at work. You guys wow. are kind of quiet over there. Yeah, yeah. I'm just blown away right you're just, now. You're just like looking over your shoulder. Did uh, I hear a noise? The ho- Did I hear a noise? The, the, the Let house, me tell you, after I listen. the worst because without yeah. a doubt, it's always the scariest house you can possibly imagine. Like at the end of a dirt road. And like <laughs> like the owner like collects like antique tools and you're like waiting for like an axe to fly off the wall and he, he was, you know. <laughs> These are my antique puppets. Yeah, right. Oh, oh the faces. Oh the faces. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, um I well, is uh before we uh, move on from this, was there anything that you wanted to ask Gomer? Yeah. What is the worst thing the devil can do to you? There's two things. There's two ways that demons affect us. One is ordinary demonic activity, and one is extraordinary demonic activity, right? And extraordinary is very rare, and ordinary happens every day. And while people think, because they see movies, that possession is the worst thing the devil can do to you, the real worst thing that the devil can do to you is is tempt you into sin, because that's the only way, right, that he can get you to hell. So this is why we don't worry as much about extraordinary demonic activity we worry about ordinary demonic activity and the fact that the devil can constantly steal our souls which is why this is such a serious topic and why i'm not great at talking about it because i always joke like 
you know, whenever we go on a call, I immediately start playing the Ghostbusters theme song. So, and my, <laughs> my, my the priest diocese gets real mad at me. So, why? Because he's like, you shouldn't, you should take this seriously. So, does he sound like that? Was that a really good impression? Oh my gosh, he he's like. He's like the best battler of demons ever because he, he could like see someone's like head spin around and he'd be like, so you're, so you're just having a kind of a rough day today, right? Like he's just <laughs> so like just calm all the time. That's awesome. Um, so uh, I, I said that joke or the, the not joke, the question, um, because I think like because of the movies, because of the hype, because of our fear and all this stuff, we're afraid of hauntings and right. all this stuff but what we're not afraid of right. is, is temptation is temptation and when i remember one time you told me that you you did this series on uh the demonic activity and then you pointed with okay so well the last session is going to be on what the devil does the most right and it's the worst and then you're like it's temptation and people are like ah right but right. that had such a profound effect on me because i was like I'm probably not going to be like Padre Pio and go toe to toe, right? You know, or right. some of these early, you know, the Desert Fathers and right. all their, you know, stories. And I, but you, I am be being tempted, tempted all the time, right, right, right now, exactly. Yeah, and I think that it's like so important to remember that, you know, like the reason, like, and you'll hear this during an exorcism that that the demons hate priests, not not because of exorcism, right? Because of the confessional, they despise priests because of the confessional. And they'll say things like, he steals thousands of souls from me in the box. You know, they call it the box. And what they're talking about is the confessional because, you know, a, mm. a pre, you know and this is, this is important to remember because, you know, we have this idea because of the movies, right? That, oh, what we need to do is find this monk that lives on a mountaintop and only eats like, you know, locusts and wild honey to come in and do this exorcism. Because that would be someone who's really powerful against the devil. It's like a parish priest is going to absolutely destroy the kingdom of hell over, 50, you know, a 70-year priesthood in the confessional, you know. And so, like, people do not realize this, that the scariest thing about demons is temptation. That is when they try and get us. These big things, right, these big manifestations, these big things really are usually more allowed by God, okay, because when we step across the first commandment, when we cross that line and sin against the first commandment, right, then what God usually, it's almost like a kid who touches, you know, the oven. We let him get burnt just real lightly so that he remembers how bad it is, right? That God sometimes allows this to happen so that people realize, look, Jesus is Lord, and that's who's in charge of all these things. Like, don't step across the first commandment. It's it's the one you want to keep for sure. So temptation, you know, that's the one that every single day we're going to be in big trouble if we're not watching out for that. And all we can think about are the things that go bump in the night. Well said. Well yeah. said. <laughs> I applaud you. Oh, thanks. But seriously, I'm terrified of the things that go bump in the night. Like go bump in the night. All by myself, with no one around, did not understand a hand coming up the ground. I looked to no, no. All right, it's a song from Ghostbusters too. Yeah, cool. Sorry, oh, cool. thank I you. I love the fact that you play the Ghostbusters. I'm still thinking about that. Oh, I do. You playing the, the Ghostbusters time. theme song? Oh, that's I do awesome. it all the time. You, you, you get so no mad. 
The original one or the, origi- the, the original one. Ghostbusters 2 with Bobby Brown? No, the original no. one. Stop Stop it. It. Of course. I play it all the time, and I even sometimes play it during talks, and like people don't like it at all. They think I'm making like too light of the situation. But the problem is <laughs> we've made too serious of the situation. Yes. We, we've made it yes. so, so serious, right? Like that this is – you know, and we have to remember that don't forget exorcism is a sign of the kingdom, right? It shouldn't be like this, you know. This secretive type. I mean, it, it should be secret, right? Because of the anonymity of the victims. But it sh- we should talk about this. That this is real. You know, this happened. Yeah. And okay. So on that note, okay. Uh, the there's a quote from. Have you read? Of course, the answer is yes. Screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. Yeah, I love screw tape letters. Right, right, right. Okay. So on the opening, there's a quote from uh, Saint Thomas More. Okay. Uh, about like devils or something, and then there's a quote by Martin Luther. Yeah. And it said, uh, like, to mock the devil, and it says, for that proud spirit, or to make to like make fun of him, or yeah. laugh at him, for that right. proud spirit cannot endure to be mocked. And that's kind of like the motivation right. of why he wrote the screw tape Letters, because he's mocking the devil, uh, you know, and all this. Um, so my only experience with the exorcism, and apparently, according to you, they, they did a no-no, which was expose the Eucharist. Yeah, you can't do that. But yes. a lot of exorcists did did do it. Yes, a lot of exorcists did. Yeah. So I was at a a youth conference, and I watched a you know eighty five ninety pound incoming freshman, more of an eighth grader girl, pick up a three hundred plus pound priest <laughs> while she was laying on her back and right. just bench him right? right, just picked him up, fully extended her arms. He was off the ground. Right. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is epic. <laughs> right, <laughs> but right. all the people in the room were praying. Now, this is in Louisiana. All the people in the room were praying. And when you said too serious, like that is what was happening. They were praying the yeah. rosary. Right. And it sounded like, I mean, they made it scary. They were like, hell, Mary, full of grace, the Lord has with right. And they were all praying right. it. And this, well, it was weird. And there was this little old priest who stood in the back. Yeah. And he, I just see him slowly put on a stole. Yeah. And he pulls out this book. <laughs> and oh, he gosh. thumbs through. And then he just puts his hand up and begins. He's sitting in a chair because he's so yeah. old and frail. Yeah, right. But he just begins doing the rites. Right. And meanwhile, this other priest, he was picked up off the ground. He gets up and he's like, give me the key to the tabernacle. And all of a sudden, oh, this gosh. little priest is just praying. Right. So they go and they get the Eucharist and hold it right up to her face. Yeah. And her whole body starts contorting. Right. Left and right, left and right, left right. and right. And he's right over her. And this little priest is just praying in the background. And he holds the 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 Luna, the mantra, and it's right up to her and uh she i see her face i'm across the room in this chapel and i see her face and she's going no 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 and she's like trying to avoid the priest's gaze and all this stuff and then finally i remember that quote from from martin luther in you know that proud spirit cannot endure to be mocked and i'm hearing all these creepy people praying the rosary and all of this stuff and i'm like so much power to it right yeah and i just thought at that one moment how silly for right. the devil to think he's something right. when he is doing this to like this ninety pound right. like teenager freshman like oh I, I win I got a a freshman you know like what what does that even mean and I started to laugh and then when I started to laugh she her she arched her body like way up in the air and then just collapsed down and then the priest started doing you know throwing holy water and signs of the cross and stuff. And within 20 seconds, it was all over. 
She stands up. She looks around. She's sweating profusely. Looks like she just ran a marathon, and she just looks around and then just folded her tiny little body into that big priest, and he just gave her a big old bear hug, and she just started crying. It was just – and I was 17, so – that was my first experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, That's crazy. Really quick, Dave. Um, why is it bad to have a Eucharist there? Uh, because so in all likelihood, that girl was not fully possessed, right? Like she was probably – there was some level of possession there. And a person who's fully possessed, like there, there's a great uh, temptation for them to commit sacrilege against the Eucharist. So – you would you would always protect that right that would be more important than than uh, than the exorcism right protecting jesus so the, so normally i mean like a possessed person would try and tear it apart spit on it pee on it something like that um so you would always want to protect that first now that being said a lot of priests use it because in their pastoral experience they know when to use it and when not to um but it's a, a big no no so you know I don't know if any priests listen to your podcast, but they should not be doing that. Um, cause they should not be listening to our podcast. And also not have one who said he expects the kinks to be worked out. He will be sorely disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the kinks. So they're should, my favorite yeah. band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That story uh, was awesome. Gomer. And I think like, uh, I think that every time that, uh, pe- people ask me all the time, like, well, do you want to be involved in it? You know? And it's like, when you see the people who are being afflicted, you just feel so awful. And it makes you so angry, you know, that it's like, no, I don't want to be involved, but this is, this is not right. Like, we're not going to just let this happen, you know? And, and I'm not going to, you know, criticize the church, but for the reason we're seeing such a resurgence in demonic activity is because for years, the church did not use anything to beat them back. And so now all of a sudden they're like, well, I'm going to do whatever I want, you know, just like a teenager. If you're not going to punish them, they're going to do what they want, you know, and now all of a sudden the church is responding again. And so we have to beat them back to where they were. And, you know, and, and it's, it, it was just a, a, a sad thing that a lot of people were afflicted demonically and, and didn't have any place to turn for so long. You know, and, and to bring it back to our earlier uh, conversation to go full circle, if you will. Um, do you think a lot of the reasons why the, the church wasn't being active against that stuff was because the church, I mean, wasn't, and this is probably, I am, a, I am referring to the American church when I say this. We weren't really living now what we were as a whole, like not preaching the gospel, not, uh, you know, I mean, you wouldn't even hear about the word a charisma or that thing, you know, that idea of a personal relationship with God was often mocked. Right. Yeah. So Christology, you know, was like ruined for a long time, right? That people didn't necessarily believe what they should believe about Jesus Christ and then his resurrection. And that has serious problems for the stories of the demons and the stories of Satan, right? Because if, if we don't necessarily need a savior, then what, what do we need saving from, you know, then why would we need something to be saved from? And so Satan became this, you know, you might call it like a general evil or a psychological problem or a natural evil that the ancients personified. And that's just not true, right? That, 
all the while that was his plan, right? To make sure that we thought that he wasn't, that he didn't really exist or that he was really a, a person. And he is, you know, and uh, a, a very powerful, right? Being probably the, the most powerful created being probably, right? Um, uh, at least uh, in his nature, okay? You know, so uh, he, he won in that way. And then, you know, when people reaffirmed a true Christology that Jesus Christ is, God and man and that he saves us from our sins and saves us from hell and saves us from the tyranny of the devil, then it's like, oh, well, yeah, the devil means something. Mm. Your yeah. parish missions must be awesome. <laughs> uh, people, you know, I'll be honest with you. People get so disappointed. Like whenever I talk about like demonology, there's always one strange woman or man who will come up to me afterwards and say, we just built our house and I put – I put St. Benedict medals at every corner and I, and I filled in the, the lines with blessed salt. And then I made sure that there was water on top of those lines, blessed water on top of those lines. And I hung rosaries on every corner and they say like, you know, do you do that in your house? And I'll say, no, no, I don't do that in my house. And they get really <laughs> disappointed, you know? And I always think like, you know, I believe in sacramentals and I believe in those things, but I, I really detest the idea that the church is a like fort to hide behind, right? The devil is the one who's hiding from us. He's, you know, he doesn't want us going out to get him. And so, you know, if, if the devil's not in my house, it's because we've got him on the run, you know, and that's, that's the way I like it. I don't want to. Wow. Like, you know? That oh. is the best thing you have said this entire podcast. <laughs> so, oh gosh, you made so many strands of thought that I've been thinking over decades come together <laughs> in this singular. <laughs> that is because, I mean, how many of us are afraid right. of the devil and the demonic? Yeah, right. And then when you made the comment about the priesthood, I was like, oh, damn, that's right. Yeah. And then you say this, and I think of, I, 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 I know people who have blessed salt in front of every window. Because that's going to ward, and I and I say to him, I say to him, it's not a talisman. It's, right. This isn't right. the. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're not like. Right. You, do you have olive cloves right. and garlic right. too? Right. And like, don't, and don't think for a second that the devil's not doing that. He, that that's not a temptation. I'll tell you right now that we, you know, a, a case that I've become close friends with, uh, very close friends with. You know, he he was wealthy and he had to quit his job because of these problems. And, and so he would order statues like from Italy, like carved out of marble, like statues of Mary. And the very first thing he would say when we walked into his house is, which way should I point her? Like as if she had laser beams that come from her eyes, right? And so you, you have to be so careful when you're using sacramentals and remember that they're weapons. They're not walls, right? Like – we're the oh. one storming the gates, right? We're, like we're yeah, not hiding, that... and you and you, and, you, and a hiding Christian is despicable to me, right? And, and oh, this is what Dave, I love so you. I, I'm about to offend a, a demographic too. Like this is why I've never trusted like Amish or Mennonite Christianity because oh yes, right? some because, form of German. Yeah, right? I was like, hoping you were going to attack the German, right? and like, you they, did it. They <laughs> circle <laughs> the wagons and like keep themselves out of the world. It's like what part of the Bible? did that come from right we like we go out and conquer we're not here to keep ourselves unstained right like we go out and baptize that's what we do we baptize what's not of christ and make it holy right so i i get real upset about this kind of and i get fired up when i start thinking about the like the people who preach this way like just hide behind the church you know hide behind the church 
Baloney. Mm-hmm. If you've been confirmed, get your ass out there and start acting like you're confirmed, right? Like, go. <laughs> I honestly thought souls. you were going for the full Billy Madison quote. <laughs> what? You get your ass out there and you find <laughs> that freaking dog. dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. No. I thought you were going to go full Madison. Um, yeah, that the whole quote that I have said a million times in defense of the papacy, right? Uh, you give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven right. and the gates of hell exactly. will not prevail against it. Exactly. Dr. Han one time said, the gates of hell won't prevail. He said, when was the last time gates went on the attack? <laughs> exactly. Gates are defensive. This implies that we are storming the gates. Right, right. I was like, right. oh, and that's what the key's for. Right. The key gets <laughs> right. access to the gate to right. open it up to let souls fly, baby. Right, right. And, and, and in the Gospels, 100%, you see, the de- don't forget, the devil never acts first. He's an idiot, right? It, like, well, he's not an idiot. He's super intelligent, but he's an idiot as far as like he cannot create. In the Gospels, you see Jesus acts and the devil tries to respond always. And that's the same way in our life. This is why like, right, when Jesus is led into the desert after his baptism, people don't realize, right? Everyone knew the desert was the home of Satan. That's what they believed, the ancients. And so what Jesus yeah. was saying is, it's time, let's get it on, right? Like you and I. It's time. I'm calling you out. I'm going into your territory, and I'm going to let you know your reign is almost over. And that's what we learn from, right? We learn that Jesus went out and got him and, and fought him and engaged him. He didn't wait and, like, made sure that everything was right and we stayed in the temple because that's the safe place. Baloney. He went right out into the desert, and that's where we better go. Because if you're hiding, you're you're disobeying the do not fear, right? Wow. Dude, you are blowing my mind right now. Sorry. I was actually leaning back in my chair going, whoa, 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 uh, whoa, without, whoa, Joey, um, whoa, Blossom 6. Uh, sorry, that was that was weird. No, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. <laughs> no, but it, it really, like, I just, and especially when you first started to talk about it, I was like, man, that applies both to the devil and to the world. Right. Like we shield ourselves off from the world so much because we're because and we like it comes from a culture we're scared right we're completely scared you know we're that's why we find I I think we find comfort in preach in the whole preach of the gospel always if necessary like uh, if necessary uh, um I use words. Because we're scared, it's like, oh, good. I don't have to. I don't have to stress myself. I don't have to be. I don't have to get uncomfortable. Right. Or how about how about the church is teaching like on on sexual ethics, right? For how many years did they teach chastity alone, right? And now it's like now people like Christopher West and the theology of the body scholars are saying, no, not chastity. We're re- we're claiming sex because it was ours all along. We're gonna go out and teach that sex is good, right? Like no more yeah. of this hiding stuff, right? Yeah, yep. not abstinence, yep. not abstinence, not, not, abstinence. not neglect, not no. Uh, this you, is Arlene. the good thing. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I feel Curves. healed. Uh, yeah, this has been awesome. <laughs> I know someone who's going to be a reoccurring gal. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Arlene Spensley. You're voted off the island. Yeah, Just, sorry. Kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. You haven't bought a microphone. David has. <laughs> David has. That's I right. literally um, texted her that today. I was like, well, David already bought a microphone. Who so. is she? Who is this lady? She's a chassis speaker, episode seven. The turn of the tide for our the quality of our podcast. We got yeah, a lot better honestly. after that. And she's become a friend. Oh, yeah, okay. She's so. our internet friend. Uh, closing Dude. thoughts. Oh, I think sorry. we should wrap it up. We've been talking 
talking for about uh, around an hour and a half, um, which is the long end of our podcasts. I don't think anyone is going to care how long this is. They're going to. This is amazing, Luke. I'm literally tempted to stay up all night editing and put this out tomorrow (laughs) instead of on Monday. Dude, this was awesome. Like, I feel like great. We never talk about this stuff, and when we do talk about it, we only focus on the sensational, which we totes did today, which was awesome. But the whole, the reality of, like, I think about this in terms of uh, about the five or so men that have asked me to hold them accountable about pornography. Yeah. And how, how afraid they are of their temptations. How afraid they are of their disordered sexual appetite, of the training that they've done to themselves with pornography and the demonic element that's associated with it, which is, I want to shame you away from the confessional. Right. And just to think like when the – I mean how silly and powerless is the devil when the most he can do is whisper, hey, did you see that hot girl? You should focus on her. Like like that's it. (laughs) And and yet like – how great are the riches of the sacraments and the priest? I, I feel like I want to kiss a priest's hands, you know, right. like the next time I see him. Yeah. How awesome is that? So those of you who who started listening at episode eight because that was our the pornography episode, which is still our most popular episode. Um, for those of you that th- this is the good news that Jesus Christ conquered not just our sin, but he conquered the entire power of darkness. And scripture says that he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And claim it. Live from that. Good night. <laughs> I don't know how to end Amen. this. Amen. I don't know how to Amen. Amen. Hopefully my wife's not asleep because I'm clapping and I'm not used <laughs> to living with a female. <laughs> yeah, Luke, how's that been going? Yeah. Oh, it's been awesome. Really good. I just shower? imagine you. I just imagine you pouring after tonight. Bless salt in between you two on your bed, <laughs> and then holy you know, water on top of that. I didn't even know that existed till a couple of years ago when someone gave me a whole bunch of blessed salt, and I was like, "Thank you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can even find actual exercised salt. Oh, yeah. The demonic element has been exercised out of it. Yeah. Oh. What yeah. about Morton's? Is Morton's holier than? Uh, <laughs> Sea salt. <laughs> I was talking to a priest the other day who they did a parade, and they he literally got giant like fifty gallon bags of rock salt, and they like threw it all over the city. Like and they blessed it and threw it all over the city. It's crazy, <laughs> which I thought was kind of insane. The Catholic Church, yeah, making the invisible visible since thirty uh, three A.D. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, okay, Luke, um, or Dave, there's a question that me and Luke ask each other every time. Uh, what are you listening to in terms of music? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Are you really going to ask me this? Yeah. Well, besides the Ghostbusters thing. It's like my, my iPhone is like the one big shame of my life. Like I'd be really terrified if people saw because I only listen to music really when I'm working out and it's like, I listen to like rap music. Hey. Do what you got to do. That's what uh, my wife does. Right. What what rap music? Like, what <laughs> fifty cents like that? Uh, I feel weird telling you guys this. Hey, uh, do you ever listen to Nelly's song "Heart of a Champion"? I think you so. ever heard that. I think that's on my list. That's on the, That's the with the NBA music in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, that song really. That gets me pumped up to do some uh, world strongest man competition type yeah. stuff. Is Tupac still alive? No. 
Machiavelli. No, hey, right. I, I do have a horrifying sound or a playlist called Old School Charismatic that has lots nice. of synthesizer and old, old songs that probably only Luke knows because he grew up in a community. It is good. Even older. To, even older. Even older. Like, blow oh, the man. trumpet my... in Zion, Zion, <laughs> You know what's funny? I, for the longest time, thought it was extreme. It was ex- it was extremely normal to um, to uh, have to like, walk into uh, your house on, say, a Wednesday night and have to go upstairs very quietly because a bunch of guys were in the living room speaking in That's tongues. Awesome. I just thought everyone I, had I that. I feel like I'd I was sleep better shocked. if that was happening right now. Oh yeah, yeah right. no, absolutely. <laughs> like that's like oddly comforting. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Hey, if someone doesn't have a charismatic, if if they they're listening to this and they're like, I need the Holy Spirit in my life, what would you tell them to do if they don't have a community around them? I would I would tell them to re- to renew their baptismal promises and ask God to stir up the Holy Spirit given to them at baptism and confirmation. And to be new in their life. That, that, that's all. I mean, I wouldn't yep. I wouldn't say anything crazy. And I would say do that every day until you feel something happen. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. Like, I mean, there's been a lot of times when I've spoken when I've spoken in a tongue since it's been on my own doing a vocal prayer in my room or um, you know, just you just have to trust and just, you know, just do it. Or or call one of us, and we'll literally pray over the phone with them. Absolutely, yeah. I listen. I have prayed over I am before. So, oh yeah, that's a great sorry. One. That's a, yeah, interesting. AOL, AOL Instant Messenger. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay. Now we have to end this, uh, Luke. What are you listening to? All right. So right now I, I am listening to Jimmy Eat World on Pandora because Jimmy Eat World's the best. Wow, Gomer, what are you listening to? Ooh, I just uh. took over the show. <laughs> hey, thank it's, God! It's yeah. Thank God! This is uh, this is David and Luke with Catching Foxes with our guest <laughs> Gomer. Gomer, what are you listening to? This is Catching Demons with uh, Dave Van Bickle <laughs> with the guest who edits. <laughs> oh man, executive producer. Um, <laughs> I God, what was I just listening to today with my daughters? I was so frustrated that all we've been listening to is Michael Jackson. Oh, <laughs> I've been listening to that too. Oh, man. So, I mean, literally just hours of Michael Jackson. I put on, oh, you're, Luke, you're going to love this. Um, I had some Matt Marr going, which is always good, but then I played some Deftones. Oh, God. <laughs> I was listen, listening <laughs> to some Deftones. Mm-hmm. I put on a knit cap. I listened to some Limp Biscuit. <laughs> it's so you. I did it all for the nookie. Come on, the nookie. Oh, Anywho, ladies goodness. and gentlemen, you can find us on Facebook. At uh, Sea Foxes, uh, Catching Foxes, no, Facebook.com slash Catching Foxes Podcast. We are on Twitter at the letter C Foxes Podcast at Sea Foxes Podcast. I'm at the Luke V. I'm at Lay Evangelist. Vote to bring me back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Dude, we're having you back, man. This was awesome. Are you kidding me? I think I had a conversion experience with <laughs> oh, you on the phone. I feel that All right, I got it. I'm on the phone too, Gomer. I know, I know. So I'm going to end the recording right now. Goodbye, everyone. We love you. Please give us a review and a rating on iTunes. Thank you.